Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com earnings right now. netsuite.com earnings. Welcome to a special edition of Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. For our latest documentary, I spent some time with Jeffrey Loring. He's the owner, chairman, and CEO of the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL. Never heard of him? Well, you're not alone. Unlike some of his fellow owners, looking at you, Jerry Jones, Loring has kept an exceptionally low profile during his almost 30 years owning the team. His tenure has been a fascinating one from lots of perspectives. In addition to delivering Philly a Super Bowl win in 2018, Lurie, along with general manager Howie Roseman, has delivered a consistently competitive team in a league designed for parity. By the way, he's also an Oscar-winning producer, most recently for the movie Summer of Soul. Lurie doesn't talk much, so it was especially fun to have this wide-ranging conversation with him, and it happened much earlier in the season. He was confident then, and it turns out for good reason. As I record this, the Eagles are 12-1, and and quarterback Jalen Hurts, two years ago a widely criticized draft pick, is the front runner for MVP. Here's my conversation with Jeffrey Lurie. Well, it's really good to spend some time with you. I'm Jason, great so, to spend time So delighted to, to be here. And you know, as I was thinking about you and, and preparing for this, it struck me, given all the things you have on your plate, how do you think about yourself? How do you define yourself in your sort of day-to-day life? I guess that's that's a hard question because I don't think I ever literally wake up and define myself yeah. or at the end of the day define myself. But, you know, it's it's kind of like wanting to make the most of every day. I do see life as fragile. You don't know when it's going to end. And you just want to try to maximize the moments, the relationships, the goals, the dreams, um, and enjoy the gift of life. That That's, that's really uh, kind of how I define myself. And if I'm not enjoying the gift of life, then I kind of blame myself. Like, why aren't you appreciating all this? Yeah. You know, and that includes all the problems in the world too. appreciate it, that things can be done. And so you've taken some really interesting steps building on that through your ownership of this franchise as a filmmaker, you've evolved all of those things over the years. Let's go back if we can, sure, because you now have this family business, but but your family business was different when, yeah. when you started out. Tell me about that. So when I was a little boy, um, my grandfather was a, a struggling entrepreneur and my grandmother was a cashier at his movie theater he had. And he kind of had the idea to change movies every single day to try to get more people to show up. Then he kind of came up with the idea for the drive-in movie theater. 
and then the shopping center movie theater. And it kind of revolutionized the, the way we watch movies um, in those days and expanded across the country. So I, I always saw him as this really struggling entrepreneur that found a way to uh, entertain, you know, um, entertain the public, not just in downtown movie theaters at the time, but all over in suburbs, wherever people are and try to expand the, the popularity of movies. And so were you drawn into that business and, and why? I, I was because it was all focused on making the enjoyment of watching, like the fan of movies or to try movies, enjoy their experience. So big, beautiful screens, clean bathrooms, easy parking. This was his way in to try to get people to appreciate storytelling. At first, it didn't succeed. I mean, he opened up the first suburban movie theater in Framingham, Massachusetts. Nobody showed up. What do you do? You have this whole thing planned. You invest in this you know, giant screen, and you think you're going to change the way people are, are able to go to movies, and nobody shows up. So what he did was he flew out to Los Angeles, and he brought some of the biggest stars to Framingham, Mae West, Marlon Brando, and had them be live on the stage so that people in the suburbs could realize you could be entertained uh, not just by going into a downtown movie theater. But he wanted to satisfy the fans. Yeah. And I think that's inbred in me. It's like in the end, you own a sports team. Do you want to be a great example for your community? Do you want to satisfy your avid fans, your your casual fans? Do you want to be a great representative of that NFL franchise or, you know, or be run of the mill and shoot for the stars, shoot for being not only a great team, but a great community. And eventually, and, and I, I want to take a beat and, and talk a little bit about your, you know, multi-decade love affair, as it were, with the movies, because then you, you sort of flip the script, as it were, and, and you start making them. But what, what was, tell me about that. Well, you know, I think as a boy, I had two crazy passions. Sports was number one and movies was number two. And I just ate it up. I, I loved with movies. It was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable to experience some of the great movies. And so, you know, at a young age, uh, my family went through some stuff. My dad died when I was very young. And I think I retreated in a positive way into things that I truly loved, sports and movies. And so things evolved and uh, I uh, started to make movies and, and really understand the movie business. And that allowed me actually to sort of value the football teams. Um, I understood, I think, the television business and where it was headed and it allowed me to um, bid for a popular professional NFL team and not feel it was overvalued. And this was at a time when satellites were emerging, pay TV was emerging, ESPN was emerging, and there were so many ways of being able to distribute sports, very similar to um, hit making with movies. And so it allowed me to probably uh, not overanalyze the buying of the Eagles and not get paralyzed by it, but just go for it. Sitting here in 2022, it's an obvious investment. Back in 1994, it's a very popular sport, but nothing like it is now. So tell me more about that decision, because even with that conviction, this is much more of a risk than it feels like now. Well, I, I will always remember the front page of the Wall Street Journal 
after I bought the team, which was the, the highest price ever for an American sports team. And they ridiculed me and said, you, you, this must have been a, a, a passion purchase, one that was just emotionally driven and had no basis in value. And I'm you know, pretty young at the time, 42. And I thought, geez, you know what? Uh, they're probably right. You know, it was seen in those days as mostly male. Why? It, it didn't make sense. Now we know, you know, gigantic audience of women love football. So it was sort of, um, you could say it was a little irrational, but it was based on, um, I, I guess, just a, a tremendous joy and an analysis that was pretty, um, pretty spot on, but who knew? Right. And so tell me about your first impression. So, you know, there, there's, oh. you know, speaking of movies, I think about, you know, that scene oh. in The Candidate, right? Where it's like, he wins, oh. and now what? Right. So, uh, you know, because I wanted to keep it quiet and the seller wanted to keep it quiet, and Philadelphia's a bit major market, I, I never came here to evaluate or look at the facilities um, or anything. Just, you know, evaluate the the opportunity from afar. And so the first day I get to the offices in Veteran Stadium, in the bowels of Veteran Stadium, no windows, gloominess everywhere, not a particularly good football team. And I go to the weight room and, and see where the players are. And it's like um, not enough for more than three people at a time, maybe. No place for one to talk to the organization or the players. I'm thinking, this is the NFL. And then I'm picturing wiring all that money and borrowing money uh, to the seller. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what have I got myself into? So what's the first thing you have to do then with all of that? Like, you, yeah, presumably, as a smart businessman, you start to prioritize. What's right. your first priority? So the first priority was something has to give with the facilities. You just can't convince players and free agents at the time and coaches or anybody to why come to the Philadelphia Eagles? Um, you've got the worst facilities in the league. You've got a dreary uh, training complex. You've got the worst surface in the NFL, the old uh, AstroTurf at Veterans Stadium. <laughs> we had to cancel a game once, a preseason game, because it was so poorly maintained. Lots of injuries. Um, everything about it was, please don't come to play for us. And you know, almost right away, we thought we're going to do anything we could to build the best facility at the time in the NFL. And you know, we were able to. It took us a while to get the facilities, but uh, it, it didn't take us that long to become a very good football team. So, how soon in into it did you think, okay, we we can do this? Like, I I have confidence. You're, you're yeah. looking at those pillars and thinking, I can sleep at night at least. Right. I, I would say, Jason, that I, I did have the confidence from. Uh, being sort of an obsessed sports fan and watching organizations across different sports and how they how they did it and how they interacted with their own community and um, the ones that were perennial winners in in on and off the field those were my models and um, I, I kind of thought yeah this is doable now we're going to have to deal with um, the politics of Pennsylvania Philadelphia we're going to have to deal with um, the reputation within the NFL. We're going to have to change a lot of things. But I, I, I thought it was all doable. Hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about Philadelphia. This is a unique place, uh, yeah. to say the least. And, and yeah. certainly, if you Google fans, yes. um, ah. uh, you know, some things come up uh, about Philadelphia fans. How soon did that really 
start to resonate with you and 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 tell me about that especially as you describe this notion of you know a customer and a fan a, a moviegoer and 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 someone who's you know sitting in a seat in, in a stadium yeah i i think you know i made a, a point early on i was going to move here sight unseen and i was going to embrace the strengths of philadelphia and try to really the most passionate fan base maybe in america for sports certainly for nfl football and embrace it don't like worry about it don't see it as any kind of negative embrace all the positive aspects but improve it so i was able to like you know it's kind of a combo thing of embrace it but realize you've got a lot of work to do i think the fans and the people of philadelphia really appreciated you know an owner or a CEO that was willing to give his all that really wanted to have a great franchise that they could be proud of uh, they've embraced me ever since i've you know i feel like it's been an incredible relationship between the city and and myself for 20 odd years and uh you know devoting every day to try to make the team or the organization better and stay humble and that that's kind of i don't know been my approach well, and and to that point of humility, if I'm tuning in to, to sports radio, which is not for the faint of heart in Philadelphia, as you know, you're not doing a, a WIP call-in show. You are, I mean, this in and of itself is pretty rare for you to sit down and, and have an extended conversation. Right. Is that your personality? Is it a business choice? Like, It's much more wanting to embrace the fans directly, not through gatekeepers. So I always saw sports talk radio as interesting, valuable to, um, you know, for fans, but it's a very different business. We're in the business of trying to win big, have a great organization, represent the community in a great way. We're not into wanting to monetize drama or monetize conflicts or monetize um, disagreements or things like that. You want a well-run organization with diversity of thought. And I always encourage diversity of thought. And you didn't want to just react to sort of local needs with an industry, sports talk radio, that was trying to just boost viewership, you know, on, on a short-term basis. Sports teams that run themselves on a short-term basis typically fail. And you've got to balance the short-term, the medium, and the long-term we pay very, very um, little attention to the outside noise and recognize some of it is true, some of it's not true. You're, you're just going to operate as a, as a football franchise. And the best thing you can do is do what you think is right at all times and balance things. And hopefully uh, the fans appreciate that and not the interpretation through gatekeepers. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? 
You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The numbers don't lie. You have built a successful franchise. Won a Super Bowl. But maybe more importantly, this is not a franchise that has these massive highs and, and then like stunning lows, as it were. There's a consistency to it. How do you create both a culture and an organization that is able to sustain? So not easy. And I think what we were able to do early on is establish that culture. That culture is very intense, hardworking, blue collar culture within an organization um, that's very focused on the key things that drive success and planning strategy not focusing just on the short term or not focusing just on the long term, but you're able to create a culture, whether it's on the football side, on the business side, where everyone works together early on. You guys were all teammates. Football success helps the business side. Business success helps the football side and reinvest in in the football team. So um, there's an opportunity to create a really, really solid culture That's what we've been able to do. And I credit that ability to have that culture as part of why we've been able to sustain. If we're going to have to change a coach, it's going to be changed for a great reason for a coach that can provide something that's been missing. If it's a player mistake, don't continue to make that investment in that player mistake, but move on. Have a humbleness to it have a sort of a self-critical nature about that's part of the culture. And so, and with some of the people that have, you know, worked with me for now 18, 20 years, our president, Don Smolensky, our GM, Howie Rosamond, they know that the stability creates a freedom and we're not risk averse and we never want to be risk averse, whether it's on the football field or off. And there's an opportunity for them to be as dynamic as possible because they're not worried about short-term mistakes or things like that. They're, they're able to go for it. Well, and, and it's interesting you talk about that and, and you mentioned some very important people to this organization and people who, with you, make decisions sometimes unexpected, sometimes in the wake of great success, the greatest success, winning a Super Bowl, and within a very short amount of time, the key personnel or turned over completely. Yeah. Tell me about a decision like that. Well, you know, you could uh, actually, some of us might say we kept some people too long players because we were so emotionally attached to them because we just won a Super Bowl. And we did that and we, you know, made the playoffs virtually every year doing it, but we, we, we didn't feel like we were getting better. We had a tough decision was to change coaches because our coach, uh, Doug Peterson, did a great job, won a Super Bowl. And um, great to work with. I've worked with Doug for probably 15, 18, 20 years. 
Um, and that's tough because you have to separate the emotions from what I think is best for the franchise or what we thought was best. And I thought we needed a change and we needed, you know, certain, certain things handled differently. Tough because, you know, you got to dismiss your own emotional attachment to somebody, the success you just had, the, the human being involved. So you got to make tough decisions. And I've never shied away from that. I've never wanted to make popular decisions. And so that that's carried me. Yeah. doesn't mean you're always going to make the right decisions. One of the most interesting personnel decisions that you have to make as the owner of an NFL franchise alongside your, your football folks is a quarterback, either trading for or drafting a, yes. a quarterback. And if I look across the history of this organization, there have been a number of notable and, and some would argue iconic quarterbacks. Yep. Tell me about that position and, and how it factors into the business decision and, and even some of the community elements. And it, and it gets into issues of, of representation in many ways, which I know are important to you. Yeah, it does. Um, it, it's very important that whoever is playing quarterback for us represent the team and the community really well. On the other hand, do I wish we drafted Tom Brady in the fifth round? Uh, yeah. I mean, we talked about him. Uh, do I wish we drafted Russell Wilson in the second round? Yeah, I do. Uh, you're you're going to, you know, miss out on, on certain players, but you've got to be resilient. But we have always tried to get really superior people that have a lot of physical talent. And so, yes, I do value mobility in a quarterback, especially in today's game where you got so many great athletes on defense. And um, I, I think we've been very lucky to have, you know, the quarterbacks we've had and how they represented us. Jason, as you said, it's very important to us as a brand, how they represent us. Um, and you know, Jalen Hurts right now, you, you can't ask for a better representative of a, of a franchise in terms of uh, his character and uh, focus and all that. As I look across your, your football work and also your film work, the notion of representation takes on a different um, characteristic in many ways because you have invested heavily as a filmmaker and I would argue as an owner in representation, especially for the black community and having a number of notable black quarterbacks who have had a very high profile, not just in this city, but beyond. How does that figure in and, and what are your observations about that? You know, first of all, we're trying to get the best possible quarterback. On the other hand, Whatever um, I'm involved in, I think there's a feeling of sort of undervalued. So like with, with film, the, the last film we did, Summer of Soul, the Harlem community, tremendously undervalued in history. All the wonderful things um, that were going on in that community amongst all the poverty and difficult processes. Um, the, the incredible black musicians and Latino musicians of the late 60s it was a chance to really elevate how important and how talented they were. I think I feel some of that with football players too. People don't realize the, the, the resiliency and the struggles and the backgrounds that some come from. And it's, they've, they've done so much for themselves to achieve what they've achieved. And the battle has been unbelievably difficult. Certainly, felt that with Donovan McNabb. Nobody had ever drafted a black quarterback that high in the history of the NFL at the time, number two. 
we were lucky to get him. I mean, we were so lucky that the team who had the first pick undervalued him and, and goes on and on. With Michael Vick, it was more, this man deserves a second chance. The, the things he got involved in were awful. Um, you know, I described him as, as heinous uh, with dogs and I'm a dog lover. And so, um, and so was Andy Reid. But we felt in America at that time and, and still to today, often black people don't get second chances. And this was a man who was very talented. That's why he was getting a second chance. But also because we believed his desire to make good on some of the you know, things that he caused a lot of pain uh, were real. You know, Jeffrey, it's interesting. I see this picture that over here which I feel like there is so much underneath that. Tell me about those guys. Randall, Donovan, Michael Vick, three incredible athletes. I inherited Randall, outstanding person, personality, dramatically wonderful quarterback to watch. But we you know, had the opportunity to look at quarterbacks um, in Donovan's year. The opportunity to give Michael Vick a second chance was a, a difficult decision, probably one of the most difficult decisions I've had to make as the, the owner, CEO of the club. And what Michael and his friends, you know, did was, was heinous and terrible. You also have to sort of look at America at the time and now and say, this was an opportunity to give somebody who had served two years in jail, who recognized you know, what he got into with his friends and an opportunity to really change uh, his, his whole community involvement, let's call it. And he did everything we ever asked. We didn't even have to ask. Michael led the way. And it strikes me that that outlook, philosophy, ethos, however you want to describe it, you know, it comes into sharp relief in the summer of 2020 with the murder of George Floyd there's a lot of your work that starts to come to a very fine point at that moment. Your worlds are colliding to, to some extent in terms of what you've done as a filmmaker and what you're doing as the owner of this franchise. Take me back to, to that summer. So obviously very difficult summer, but not atypical. There's a lot of um, gunning down or, or you know, uh, taking down of black citizens. Uh, all across the country every every day, every week. But at the same time, we're in a position as whether you're in film, movies, uh, whether you're in sports, able to be able to um, present a whole other, more human image of the value of all these human beings. And so, you know, uh, we have a culture, as do other NFL teams, where we're all family. So, you know, I think we always take it on as a challenge. What can we do to, to really make our team and others valued whereby the community uses us and others as a model of how to get along without fear? But there, there's definitely an intersection between sports, entertainment, and popular culture. And um, it's up to us, the leaders in those industries to be able to celebrate the beauty that we have and attack the, the problems that we have. Cause there's real problems of poverty, right. inequality, uh, social injustice. These are real yet at the same time, let's celebrate the, the wonderful people that we have. So that's, that's kind of what goes into it, Jason. And, and so 
building on that, it strikes me as I think about even individual players that you have had in this franchise and Malcolm Jenkins Great comes, yep. comes to mind Yep, as someone who I know you're very close with, who was integral in a lot of these discussions. Tell me about him specifically, but also this notion of the relationships you have with players in terms of celebrating and And, and I would argue it seems like seeking to elevate them in, in maybe a different way than happens elsewhere. Well, I don't know if it happens elsewhere or not, but I do know that I literally treat it like an extended family. And I, I see their op- see players, coaches, everyone's opportunity to maximize themselves in this little window they have on the, you know, in terms of whether it's three years, five years, 10 years, Tom Brady-esque, whatever it is. And they're human beings. They have children. They have problems. They have um, pressures. So if we can be kind of like a safe family and be a model of how to interact and how to engage each other, I cherish having you know players like Malcolm. I encourage players to be really community involved, uh, think through I, I always really enjoyed his ability to think through what he wanted to accomplish and then set a series of short-term mechanisms to do it. I, I love that. And I think for now, Jalen Hurts with gun violence, it's, I'm a social policy nerd or nut. That's my academic background. Right. I'm not truly interested in the politics behind it. It's much more for me, the data. And when you have so many excessive deaths caused by gun violence, you got to do something about it. People are dying because of it. It's not a political, you you can call it political, but I'm concerned with the excessive deaths. You know, we got to try to be at the forefront of uh, challenging the the norms Mm -hmm. here. This is not right. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. So when you're sitting around the table and you have seen an, an amazing evolution of NFL ownership, in some cases, not evolution, yeah. you know, in, in terms of, you know, long-term ownership, although yeah. you are, are now in the, in the senior ranks One of, those seniors. Uh, yeah. of that. How did those conversations play out in 2022 around 
teams' roles, the NFL's role, the sports role, individual players' roles in these societal issues. As owners, we only get together maybe three, four, five times a year, and they're usually focused on um, the key business decisions or player decisions or, or things like that. There isn't a lot of opportunity because the meetings are very boom, 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 boom. It's one presentation after another. You, you gravitate to certain owners where you have common goals, and yet you can respect others for um, engaging in their uh, priorities and, and all that. So um, I, I don't think it's mu- it's real judgmental. It's much more, there isn't really an opportunity. It, it, it would be a great couple days to just be able to focus on that, I, I think. Yeah. In addition to winning Super Bowl, you've won a few Oscars. And the most recent, of course, was, was Summer of Souls, as you, as you mentioned. Tell me the story of, of how that came about and, and sort of how that all evolves. Well, so we have Play Action Pictures, which is a kind of a hobby of mine, but it's a, it's a documentary film company, and it allows us to get involved in projects where I feel like we can make a difference in terms of both what it's about, what we'd like to communicate out into the world and have them have access to in terms of understanding what happened. And often we will take stories that happen, history that happened that has a very, very real present day um, relevance. And so Summer of Soul, uh, just the story itself. Uh, I grew up in the 60s pretty much and loved the music. And it resonated at a time when the United States was going through an awful lot of discordance and uh, protests and a war that was very unpopular in Vietnam and um, you know, bombings in Cambodia and race riots. And uh, there's a lot of, a lot of poverty, a lot of things going on. And yet I didn't feel some of the similarities that were happening today were recognized that this was uh, very similar to what was going on in the late sixties. And I remember talking to some players about that. And then we got wind of a of a documentary project that Questlove wanted to direct, his first time directing, on the music of the late 60s with Black and Latino culture and musicians in Harlem, and wanting Harlem to be seen as the vibrant creative force it was, because, you know, it was. And, And it so resonated with what is going on in the 2020s, you know, just, just, it's almost like a direct parallel. And so you can learn from what took place 50 years earlier and see the same struggles, sometimes the same lack of progress, um, the same fears, uh, the same polarizations you know, politically, a lot of things. And the fact that, we, that very, very few people even knew that that happened, no. that, 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 that that summer those concerts even happened was, was that, pretty remarkable. That's right. At least as a viewer. No, yeah. that's right. When you see the, the work that you're doing there and the, and, and the work that you're doing with this franchise and, and you think about yourself in this very small cohort of uh, professional football owners, <laughs> do you feel a little bit uh, different from those other guys? You know what? As a human being, no. Um, I know some of these guys, really, some of these men and women personally, and they've got big hearts, but um, there's an awful lot of... Of, of good people involved here, and they do it in other ways. They're not doing it through filmmaking, but they're doing it through community development or you know real estate development that helps the the, the town they're in or other towns. And 
There's a lot of ways. So I don't set myself apart whatsoever. Uh, not at all. Do you feel the expectations have been raised for, for ownership during the during your tenure as an owner? I do. I do in a good way. I think we're really challenged to be good, really good community examples and yet at the same time be ultra competitive, which I think most are, and at the same time understand the problems of urban America especially. You know, there's a lot of problems um, as we know, and we have a great country, incredible opportunities, but we also have great problems. And let's not just be, we're the NFL, we're so successful, we dominate television, our valuations are gigantic. Let's absolutely be the best citizens we can be. And let's judge ourselves, not just on the field, but off the field. And so I think that's a, a healthy challenge and a healthy view. Thinking about the family business that you came from. Yeah. And now this is the family business. Right. In, in many ways. Very much. Your son, you know, Julian has sort of come into to this business. He's done a lot of work in the league. Tell me about that that process and, and your thought process in doing that. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I always thought one of the great things about owning an NFL team was the chance to pass it on and the opportunity to be able to have him learn from me, learn from all of us here, and at the same time, be really well prepared if, if it happens that he takes over the team someday. It, it gives me a lot of pride. I'm very proud of both my kids and uh, just being smart, humble, and um, their own people. Their own people, comfortable in their own skin. And, and when you and I visited before, you did a really nice job explaining to me how it becomes not just something personal for you, which it clearly is, but something that then the the team and the players and the the franchise essentially like rallies around. It, walk me through that. So, you know, I, I hesitated for a long time integrating my wanting to try to make an impact in the world of autism because of my brother and the family business, so to speak. When it became so obvious that one in 40-something births were on the autism spectrum, how underfunded it is, how it affects um, everyone in society, um, regardless of their background, um, it became something where I wasn't needing to like push it aside, but saying, you know what? We could be a sports team that absolutely identifies with a underfunded condition that affects millions around the world and have it be so authenticated in the branding that every fan of the Eagles, you know, and every player, coach, executive that works here knows we have a, we have a path to try to make an impact on a condition that's incredibly, um, unfortunately, extremely common and it's deserving. It's always been underfunded because it's not a terminal disease. It's, you know, a neurodevelopmental disorder, by far the most common. As you notice at the end of every end zone, um, we have Eagles Autism Foundation. So every time there's a TV shot of a score, a field goal, whatever's going on, the Eagles and autism are synonymous. That was my goal because that allows us terrific fundraising. And at the same time, we have a very disciplined approach to uh, with a peer review panel every year to pick the very best innovative projects to fund. So we're, we're very kind of disciplined and scientific 
yet at the same time very conscious that uh, the popularity of, a, of the Eagles can drive that synonymous identification. So it's been about four years now and $16 million later, and you know it's a massive success. We still have to parlay the research into um, breakthroughs, and, and I'm sure we'll contribute to it. And, um, but it's, it's both personal and societal at this point in, in a great way. And our, it's amazing to see our, our players and everybody want to be part of it. You know, you've referenced history, you know, yeah. American history. Yeah. This city is yeah. as rooted in American history as as, as is possible. You know, yes. all you have to do is walk through town to, to get a sense of that. Yeah. And yet you also have this sense of the inequalities in yeah. America. So as someone who is so engaged in that, who has literally studied this academically, you think about something as seemingly simple as ring of honor. How do you honor history and keep it consistent with the present and future goals of this organization? I, I do want us all players, myself, to re be reminded when we walk in the building that there are heroic people um, that have done unbelievably humanitarian deeds in, in, our, in our history. Uh, and whether that's, you know, Martin Luther King or Dr. Paul Farmer, who we just put up there, I, I want us to have perspective. I want players. I think it's part of their growth, my own growth, my own humility to walk in to this iconic football building and franchise and know there's a bigger world where we can ultimately compete on every level. We can try to win Super Bowls and be family and at the same time impact the world around us. And it always gives me perspective. Maybe it's more for me, but I don't think so. I've talked to players about it and they, uh, they always sort of thank me for having that. Yeah. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Jeffrey Lurie. Be sure to check out the full documentary. It features some insights from none other than Eagles fan and Lurie collaborator Questlove. You can find it at Bloomberg.com, YouTube, or check it out on Bloomberg TV. And check out our past docs where we've dived deep into everything from Formula One to women's soccer to the post-pro sports ambitions of A-Rod and Steve Young. I'm Jason Kelly. See you next time. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.